And we listen to our second reading from Luke's Gospel, chapter 19, verses 11 to 27. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten miners. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he'd given the money in order to find out what they'd gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your miner has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter. Take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your miner has earned five more. His master answered, you take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, sir, here is your miner. I've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you're a hard man. You you take out what you didn't put in and, and you reap what you didn't sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I'm a hard man, taking out what I didn't put in, reaping what I didn't sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit, so that when I came back I could have collected it with interest? And he said to those standing by, take his miner away from him and give it to the one who has ten miners. So they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you, that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away. But those enemies of mine, who didn't want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. If someone was to give you some cash say about three months' worth of wages or a pension or whatever, what would you do with it? If you had a sum of money to do with whatever you wanted, then what is the first thing that you would do? I'm guessing some of us would put it into savings. Some might want to spend it on a holiday. Some might give some to charity. But whatever it is, I'm sure we'd put it to good use. Well, Jesus told this parable of the ten miners about servants who were given some money. They were given it, though, to invest. They couldn't do with it what they wanted. They were told to invest it. A miner was a unit of currency, which was equivalent to about three months' wages. And each servant was given one and told to invest it whilst his master was away on business. Now, before we think about what they did with it, I think it's important to think about where this parable is told. It's right at the end of Jesus' journey from Galilee to Jerusalem. The journey was, of course, no ordinary journey, because it was in Jerusalem where Jesus was headed 
that he was to endure betrayal and beating and ultimately die for the sins of the world. And Jerusalem was, of course, the place where Jews expected their Messiah to be revealed, which made it no ordinary place. It was a very significant place where great things were expected to happen. And when this happened at the time, the Romans were in control. They conquered the Jews and the people of Jerusalem will have longed for independence. So this was a significant journey. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And when he told this parable, he was probably in Jericho, which was about six hours walk away from there. And just before this parable, we have Zacchaeus. When Jesus met with Zacchaeus, he announced that salvation had come to his house that day. There was a great sense of expectation that something else amazing was going to happen. There was a great sense of anticipation that this man Jesus was the promised Messiah, who was coming to overturn the Romans, who was coming to bring freedom to the people. And those who were with him will have been expecting something incredible. And the Jews were right to expect a Messiah, as we know, but they were expecting a political ruler who would change things immediately and establish a kingdom immediately. But Jesus used this parable to set a few things right and to tell us about the real nature of his kingdom and what our part in it is. The parable is about a nobleman. This man had the right to inherit the throne of a kingdom, but he had to go away to actually get the crown. This might seem a little bit strange, but back then this was normal practice. Israel was part of the Roman Empire, and a potential ruler to have his rule endorsed would have to go to Rome to the central authorities. And this journey to Rome was, of course, a long journey. It could last a good few months. That's why Jesus said the man went to a distant country. It would take a long time to get there and to come back again. There would be a delay and it would be a long delay. So Jesus was king, but there was to be this long delay. He was on his way to Jerusalem for a purpose, but it wasn't for his kingship to be proclaimed immediately. In Jerusalem, he died and rose again and then ascended into heaven. He'd gone away, but one day will return to establish his rule fully. We're currently living in that in-between time. And if you notice, in that parable, the ruler actually received the right to rule before he returned. And in the same way, Jesus is our rightful ruler, yet we're still awaiting his return. So Jesus is stressing that there will be a delay, not a forced delay by circumstances, but a delay that is planned before he returns again. He was correcting their misunderstanding. He wasn't going to rule as soon as he got to Jerusalem, but his full full rule would come at a later time. And then Jesus went on to tell us what to do whilst we're waiting for that to happen. At the start of the parable, the man called ten servants to him. Um, Apparently, slaves is a better translation of servants at this point. And the difference is that while slaves that we think of, they're not like what they were then. Slaves actually had the right to act and trade on behalf of their master. But a slave is owned by the master. And that's the key difference. 
And so the nobleman gave ten of his servants or slaves, ten miners, one each. The amounts that were given were reasonable sums, as we said, and they were each told to trade with it and make more money to benefit the kingdom. And this wasn't optional because it was a command. And then we're told that this nobleman had enemies. And we're told that the citizens hated him and sent people after him. They worked against him and tried to stop him from becoming king. And I think the parallel there is pretty clear. As Christians, we're like the servants or the slaves who've been commanded to use the resources that God has given us for the benefit of his kingdom. At the same time, there will be those who work against us in this. So the king went away and then he came back and he did so with full authority. He spoke to each of the servants to see what they'd done with the minor that they'd been given. The first one used his minor well whilst the master had been away. And he'd made ten minors more, which is a huge increase, I'm sure you'll agree. This, of course, impressed the king and he said, well done, good, good servant. Not only did the good servant receive the praise of the king, but he also received a reward which was to rule over ten whole cities. A minor was nothing in comparison to a city. But because he'd proved faithful in the small thing, he was given something much, much larger to take care of. In the same way, what God has given us, our money, our time, our resources, our talents... It's nothing compared to what he'll give us in eternity. But first of all, we need to show that we can be faithful with what we've been given now. The second servant also put his miner to work and he he earned five more. This was only half of what the first one made, but this was still impressive. And he got authority over five cities. Again, the question to us is, what have we done with what God has given us? Do we use what we have to promote the kingdom of God? We've all been commanded to use what we have for the kingdom of God. And we're told that there will be a reward for us depending on our faithfulness. Do we keep what God has given us for us? Or do we use it for his kingdom? Well, let's look at how the third servant got on when he reported to the master. Well, it turned out that instead of investing the money, he was too scared to risk losing it. So he wrapped it and kept it stored away in a cloth. He probably did it to keep, keep it safe because, after all, he thought that it was a, he was a harsh nobleman and a harsh master to serve, so he was probably scared of losing it. The problem is, though, that he was told to trade it. He, was told not, he wasn't told not to hide it away specifically, but he was told to trade it, not to hide it away. So... Let's hope he had a good excuse for not doing that. Well, he said he was afraid of his master. He saw him as a severe man, someone who wasn't, uh, took what wasn't his and reaped what he hadn't sown. But was the master really like this? Because so far we've seen that for the first two servants, he was actually really generous. Maybe he had a skewed view of what the master was like. The king pointed out that if this was so then surely he would have worked all the, all the harder to ensure that he didn't let him down. If you think that someone is that harsh, you'd do what you were told, wouldn't you? 
If he was scared of losing the money, then he could have at least put it on deposit and would have gained some interest. So the servant didn't really have any excuse. After all, the money wasn't his. It was the master's. He couldn't do what he wanted with it because he'd been told to invest it. The servant should have done what the master commanded. He had no right to change what the purpose of it was. Yes, the servant was entrusted with it, but no, it wasn't his. And in the same way, the things that we have, the things God has given us, are only ours in that we've been entrusted with them. Our money, our time, our resources. They're not really ours, but God's. And so we need to be careful to do with them what God has commanded. If we just bury what he's given us, then we're not really involved in his work. Jesus wants personal involvement. He doesn't want onlookers. Think of it like riding a bike. You can watch someone else do it, but you'll never learn how to do it yourself unless you get on and try and fall down and scrape your knee a few times and try again. Jesus wants every single one of us to use what we have for his purposes. And there are consequences for not doing what God has commanded. Uh, that, That second part of the parable the slave who hadn't done what he'd been asked received a, wicked, a judgment of wicked servant. And not only was he on the wrong end of these harsh words, but what he did have was taken away and given to the first one. To us, that hardly seems fair, but Jesus says in verse 26, I tell you that to everyone who has, who has shall more be given But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Now that doesn't sound quite right on first hearing, does it? We're used to Jesus who has compassion for the poor, the outcast and the oppressed. But here it seems a little bit different. But let's think about it. Each of the servants have been given the same opportunity of having the same amount to invest in the first place. They were all given the same command. The first two obeyed that and worked to invest what they had. The third one didn't. He didn't even really try. We need to try. According to Ripley's Believe It or Not, a plain bar of iron uh, weighing a pound could be worth about $5. But the same bar could be made into horseshoes, which could be worth up to 50 Made into needles, it would amount to 500 or springs in fine Swiss watches, it would be worth 5000 The raw material is not as important as how it is developed. We may have different, different abilities, different things that we do well, but we all have the same good news of Jesus and we're put in charge of distributing it. It's level playing field. It's about what you do with what, you've, what you do with what you've got. And then in verse 27, we see the end result of those who were against the nobleman right from the start. The ones who didn't want him to be king, who tried to stop him from becoming king. They were all killed in front of him. That's a warning, if ever I heard one, to take Jesus' command seriously. We're to be busy whilst Jesus isn't visibly present with us. The full expression of the kingdom of God will not come until his return and we need to be working hard with what we have in the meantime. In the same way, the nobleman's slaves acted on behalf of their master in his absence. 
So we act on behalf of Jesus until he returns. We're to go about his business in his name. In the same way the servants were each given resources to be used for the benefit of the kingdom, we've been given resources for the benefit of God's kingdom. In the parable, the servants were given minors, not to keep, they weren't theirs. The nobleman kept ownership of them. And in the same way, we have what's been given to us by God um, to use for his purposes. It's actually God's money, God's time, God's resources to be used for his benefit, not ours. And in the same way that the nobleman examined how his slaves had traded when he returned, so Jesus will examine what we've done, how we've used what we've been given when he returns. And when we truly follow Jesus with the whole of our lives, our faith will be shown more than uh, shown through more than just our words, but through our actions too. Being a Christian is about more than words. It's about deeds as well. Zacchaeus, in the story before this passage, met Jesus, and his life totally changed. He gave away over half of what he had. His actions showed an inward change. And that's what we're called to do. I'm not saying we have to give away more than half of what we have, but doing the best with what we've been given is what we're meant to do. So I wonder, did the third servant even believe that the nobleman would return as king? Because if he did, he'd have probably done things differently. The servant couldn't really have known the man very well, as we've seen, because he thought he was cruel and hard. When we see in his dealings with the other two, he was quite generous. We also see that the third one didn't do what was asked. He might have been associated with the nobleman. He might have been on his payroll, but the nobleman couldn't actually have been his master because he didn't do what he was told or asked. And it's because of that the third servant ends up with not even what he had in the first place. So what's this got to do with us? How does that help us live day by day? Well, it's got a lot to do with us. Whoever we are, it's got something to say to every one of us. Each one of us is accountable to God. Each one of us has been given gifts and time and abilities to do with as we choose. And it's to him that we'll be accountable. But it's easy to forget that side of things, isn't it? Jesus has been away for literally thousands of years. Why would he return now, right this minute? The parable makes it clear that the delay will be long one. But when he returns, we'll have to have an answer for him. But we have the opportunity, whilst we're living, to receive forgiveness from God. Our challenge is to make Jesus the most important thing in our lives and not to ignore what we've been asked by him to do. God has given us life. He's given us not only money, but time, abilities, resources. And what are we doing with those things? Are we keeping them to ourselves? Are we hiding them away in case we lose them? Are we using what God has given us to benefit his kingdom? And are we trying to reach out to others who don't know him for themselves? Do we tell other people about this wonderful um, gift of eternal life that God has given to us? Do we help those in need, as Jesus told us to do? Do we work for the benefits of God's kingdom? There are loads of ways in which we can do that. We just have to try our best so that we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. 
And we need to take risks. The third servant was scared of taking a risk. So he kept it and he didn't do anything with it. But we need to take risks. The servants who invested the master's money ran the risk of being attacked by those around them who, um, enjoyed, who didn't like the master's authority. They faced the risk of disappointing the master by investing in something that didn't make money. It wasn't guaranteed to be a success. It was a risk. And we need to make risks. When we're truly living and working for the benefits of God's kingdom, we need to take risks. Even the success of the servants exposed them to risk. Once they tasted the success um, and had been promoted, they ran the risk of becoming greedy or power mad. They ran the risk that their next investments wouldn't be that successful. But the servant who avoided any risk is singled out as unfaithful. We're not told what would have happened if the other two servants had have lost money, but we can probably assume it would have been okay because at least they tried. But we all know that taking risks isn't easy. Well, I've been reading a book called Sustainable Power written by a guy called Simon Holly, who's the pastor of a church in Bedford. And this church has seen God move in remarkable ways. He tells the story of their church's journey from uh, into faith and expectation. He and others in the church learn to hear from God and trust in the promises that he keeps. They find themselves in exciting encounters with power, both inside the church and whilst going about their day-to-day lives. And in that, he used a quote that's been attributed to loads of people, but I found out that it's from a guy called John Shedd. And it says this. It says, a ship in the harbour is safe, but that's not what ships are built for. As a church and in our own Christian lives, if we're safe in the harbour, then we're missing out. Ships are not intended to be sitting in a harbour. Ships are meant to be sailing out at sea. They're meant to be going somewhere. They're meant to be moving. But seas are dangerous places. Seas can be calm, but seas can be rough. Seas can be stormy, and seas can be risky places to be. We need to take risks. We need to venture out into uncharted waters. Someone else once said along the lines of boats, um, you cannot discover new oceans unless you have courage to lose sight of the shore. So I want to conclude by saying that the challenge for us is to move out into uncharted waters and sometimes dangerous waters. We can choose to invest what we have, be that our time, be that our talents, be that our money. We can choose to use the ways in which we're gifted and invest it in the work of the kingdom of God or we can bury it. God has given each of us something with which to make an impact on the world for him. So let's take the risk. Let's use it. Let's invest it for the sake of God's kingdom. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that whatever... um, we do in your name you will be with us we ask that you will guide us as we step out in faith for you help us not to bury the things that you've given us but to use them for your purposes amen